Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com, the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real-time updates. ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit ClickUp.com to get started. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza here high above Mountaineer Field, not long after West Virginia dispatches Duquesne 56 to 17. Chris, there was a, a storm, a brewing, and then there was an hour and 54 minute delay, and then clouds cleared, and West Virginia looked eh, probably like you would hope they would have looked before the delay, but kind of um kind of sloppy, kind of discouraging, and then something more redemptive after that, and it's going to be kind of a, an inkblot test of what people want to take out of it and how they feel next week going into a game against Pitt. Where do you sit on this? I love that you put it inkblot test because that, that that's a perfect way to describe this and how you how fans, journalists, analysts, whoever, people who rank teams, um, they're going to be thinking about this. You look at it and you think, man, all right, it, it got better after the rain. And they looked solid. I mean, it was uh, 42 to 7 after the rain and probably could have done more, but a lot of backup time. Everybody looked great. You, you go to Garrett Green, he was 4 of 11, so like 70 yards, 60 yards um, before the lightning delay. Uh, 6 of 7 for 100 some, 160 some yards and three touchdowns afterwards. Uh, the receivers couldn't catch the ball, couldn't get open. Then they could, all those different receivers, and then and then I mean th- this is this is where you get into this inkblot test thing, like the receiver part. That that's the part that's going to blow my mind. Hudson Clement, amazing day, five catches, 177 yards, three touchdowns, just unbelievable. But this, these are your top receivers today: Hudson Clement, Cole Taylor, Preston Fox, C.J. Cole. And then you get to Jayshon Polk with two catches for 11 yards. But is that the receiving that you take out the tight end? Is Polk, Cole, Fox, and Clement, is that the the four receivers you were thinking was going to be the you know standouts for West Virginia this year? Not this year, maybe in a game like today, just because sometimes these things go so sideways and you're playing an FCS team. But to your point here, um, yeah, like they, they didn't have maybe their best or most prolific or promising players at receiver. And then, the guys they want to have play well, even in a game like this or just in general, didn't. I mean, literally dropped the ball on some occasions. Some got a chance to get it back. Some didn't and didn't make the most of it. So that's um that's certainly concerning. And you know, I've I've uh <laughs> I've already penned most of my three things in the morning, and like one of them is receiver. Like this is this is an interesting situation right now. That's it's two weeks in, and they really kind of have the rubber meeting the road soon, or otherwise they're in trouble. And guys in, guys out, guys ineffective, guys not playing or playing well enough. And they have a lot of options, but they also have a lot of options. I'm not sure that's a good thing or a bad thing. We'll see. They're going to have to figure this out, uh, choosing on their own. Clement, um, man, you want to talk about an out-of-nowhere performance, but at a time where they absolutely needed it because no Carter, no Traylon Ray. Those are the top two receivers at Z. They put Clement in, 
and goes wild. And also, Chris earns a scholarship after the game. And I have to tell you something. I, I ducked out before the interviews um, with him because I want to get up here and knock this out so we're not up too late. And as I was leaving, he was there and um, he bumped into his family. And it was pretty cool because he had not seen his parents since he got the scholarship. He got the scholarship in the locker room and it wasn't one of those reveals where like dad is in a uniform or they bring the parents in or something. They were outside. And I'm assuming that they found out by social media or he called them and said, hey, guess what? But I uh, I was like a fly on the wall. You walk in and you see a pretty emotional moment where they were like, they were like, one of them clearly said, who are you? Because <laughs> he had played so well. Um, and they were all pretty wound up and pretty excited about uh, not just what somebody called a life-changing performance, which is literally true now because he got a scholarship based on a three-touchdown performance. Uh, he earned it before that, but they were waiting for him to do it in the game and to earn it, and he did. But just that he had worked so hard and come so far and validated himself, um, that was a pretty neat vignette to be a witness to, not a part of, but to be a witness to. And you can tell a lot of people really like him um, inside and outside the locker room. And um, that's probably the story of the game today because they needed the person to do that in general at receiver, but certainly that position and the offense and the receivers were kind of stuck in the mud for a little bit. And they just said, throw it to 84 and see what happens. And he kept getting open. He kept running past and running away from people. Um, they probably have something here going for I don't know what that's going to do against Pitt's cornerbacks or cornerbacks in the big 12, but that's the guy who's going to play now. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's got the speed. He's got, he's got the, uh, you know the parameters to to be a, uh, an athlete to be a wide receiver at this level. Um, I guess just just like the coach said, they got to see him do it. I, I, I'm still holding out. I mean, I'm not handing out scholarships, but I'm still holding out to see if he can do it against better competition than FCS. But then again, who else for West Virginia was actually performing at least as far as the receivers go at that kind of level against the same uh, same opponents? I mean, you mentioned. Devin Carter was out. Traylon raised his backup, but then look at the other receiving spots. And, you know, what is it? Cortez Braham and uh, Jeremiah Aaron, I guess, are the other two starters or presumed starters. Um, yep, looking at this. Targeted seven times between the two of them. And they had more drops. They had three yards, two drops, one catch. Um, oh, man. It's it's hard for me. Like again, I'm not trying to take away from Hudson Clement's moment here, but it is hard for me to look at this wide receiver core and and be overly positive about it. Other other than Clement's performance tonight, no. I mean, even you have some good things that do happen, and, and you kind of caveat by saying, "All right, well, what can he do against an FCS team? It, can he do that against an FBS team? We'll see." Um, you have Rodney Gallagher. He gets in there, does some things, but he also makes kind of a. Um, I mean, a bonehead play where he knows better than he even said that right away, apparently, but went for the pylon and lost the ball at the end zone. You've pretty much seen that a million times with blooper reels and doesn't work. Um, you have good moments for some people, but steps back. And then, you know, Aaron's a guy that needs to make some of those plays. Fox is a guy who last week maybe didn't make the best ever on a ball in the end zone. He gets a second chance against Duquesne and drops one, but they do come back to him because they couldn't really find another option out there, I think. So he goes back in, he makes a play. It's pretty weird right now. They're going to have to figure this out, too. And and it's it's such a delicate thing for the quarterbacks because you'd really like them to get a rapport with the receivers of people in and out of the lineup and effective and not effective. That's that's prohibitive there, too. Uh, Clement, by the way, as many touchdown passes, excuse me, touchdown receptions as rushing yards for Duquesne. Um, this this ultimately looks like it should look. And I want to point this out, too. Um, it's 56 to 17. 
they they give away a possession on a punt uh, on a turnover, first turnover of the year, and then they drop a, the the Fox touchdown and ends up as an excuse me the Aaron drop touchdown ends up as an empty possession too. I'm not saying they score seventy points, but they might have actually been better than fifty six points tonight. Six hundred yards, three hundred rushing and receiving for just the sixth time ever in school history. They actually do put up some numbers, and I don't know how people feel about it. I think it's it's probably encouraging that they really staggered into that lightning break and then came out really energized. They get 28 points in the second quarter, Chris. That had never happened for a Neil Brown team at West Virginia. And this is the same offense that two hours earlier, like, holy cow, this is not looking very good. How is this going to get right in time for Pitt, for Texas Tech, for TCU? It got right in time for the resumption of the game and in a hurry. Um, and I don't know what happened. Like Duquesne didn't get worse. Duquesne didn't bench players. Maybe they just didn't handle the halftime as well or they, that intermission as well. Maybe, maybe West Virginia did. There's no rhyme or reason to things like that. Um, I guess we go back to Inkblot here. Is there reason to feel good, encouraged by what you saw in that flurry in the second quarter and maybe even in the second half? Or is that just like one night only stuff and it, it's, it was just lightning in a bottle tonight? I felt a little bit better about the, the green throws. Some of the green throws. We mentioned it before the game when we talked about the one thing we had to see. I said I needed to see Garrett Green make these throws because the coaching staff had mentioned after the previous game he was missing layups, as they called him. And, and I think I don't want to say he missed layups to start the game. I think maybe there's one or two meh throws in there, but he also was a victim of a couple drops from his receivers as well. So, yeah, the the four and eleven, it's a little four of eleven start. It was a little concerning, maybe medium threat level, DEFCON 3 uh, level there. But the way he bounced back after that gave me a little bit more, okay, so he, he can make those throws when they're there. So you're still relying on other people to get open and for the play call to be right. But you can see that Green has the arm to make those throws. So I think that's probably the biggest positive offensively that I took uh, from this game. Defensively, um, hmm, hmm. I don't know who or what is the fix in the secondary. They're just short on corners and receivers. Uh, excuse me, corners and <laughs> see what I'm doing. They're they're short on cornerbacks and defensive backs in general. The safeties they don't play more than three really, but they only have three right now. Marcus Floyd should be back, I would assume, at some point. But what type of a, a solution is that there? I don't know, but. They did not have Montre Miller tonight. They did not have Marcus Floyd. They're down to really, as far as like game action goes, just three corners because they didn't play Jacoby Spells until late um, and just three safeties and because they didn't have uh, Avery Wilcox until late. He actually had an interception, but those are not regular guys right now, too. And kind of said this before, too, and I, I hope people understand what I was saying then. If not, maybe you do now. Like sometimes if your problems are the problems and if they stay on the field, that's an issue because you don't have anybody who can run them off the field because they practice better or play better. And I'm not saying it's the issue they have right now, but you're seeing a lot of the same coverage things in the first two games against very, very different level of opposition. Um, it's one thing to have Penn State do some of that crossing pattern stuff or or just simple find a cushion and get open stuff. Okay, it's Penn State is number seven. A little bit different when Duquesne's players are you know able to get open in the, the formative part of the game and are able to run with the ball or run away from defenders to get the ball. Um, they're really going to have to fix this because overall, like, I don't think their front seven is bad or their front six is bad. I guess we're calling it seven again. Um, they, they, they're getting good play from their defensive line and, and the linebackers, you know, didn't have to be great tonight, but I think they can probably turn the heat up a little bit to maybe give the secondary some 
I don't know, shorter plays, maybe some better chances to be in the play because they don't last as long. But the other part of that is that pressure is to get home. You're really leaving that secondary kind of uh, on its own. And that's that's kind of like a hot stove thing right now. How many times do you want to put your hand over or on the burner um, until you learn your lesson? And I don't know where that's going to go or how it's going to get there yet. Um, that, that's that's where it begins and ends on defense. I don't know, maybe even for the roster in general. And I'm not sure that it was great like the offense was after the change or as the score widened. It seemed like it was still problematic for them. And maybe Duquesne's offense just is an FCS offense. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. Instacart for the win. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Trying to look right now. I'm looking for the participation chart. I don't see it yet. I don't know if it's out. I don't think it's out yet. Again, we're doing this immediately after the game, but, you know, who else played at corner? Like, I see, you know, obviously starters with Bishop and Wilson Lamp. And then uh, I'm like running through here. Spells, Ruffin. Who else played? Like a corner. Bishop. I see see Josiah Jackson got a tackle. but Wasn't he playing more of a safety spot rather than corner? I believe he's a safety and Jordan's the corner, yes. Yeah, I mean, they only have three corners right now because, like, they played spells. That's fine. So you have spells in there a little bit late, but they just played Ruffin, Bishop, and Wilson Lamp without Miller, and that sounds like it's going to be a longer injury. They're really down to maybe four, and I, I don't know what spells deal is. They're not playing him a lot, and he certainly didn't do himself any favors with the mistakes on special teams tonight because that does matter. That's part of their calculus for playing time. If you can be reliable on special teams, you can be reliable on defense, and unfortunately for spells, that didn't work. And then safety again. It's just it's just those three. It's Burks, it's Wilson, and it's Cobb. They probably aren't going to play uh, Avery Wilcox in the course of a normal game, uh, but that's pretty much what they have right now without Floyd. Unless they're going to give somebody, you know, that they move Stokes. They haven't, you know, found a way to play him anywhere other than Spears right now. They they don't really have any other safeties back there either, unless they want to move Ruffin back there. But then you're even shorter a corner. So it's these things are kind of on a string right now. And I don't I don't know that they have solutions beyond who they have. Not a good spot to be in. 
it's not great. Would you agree the front seven so far so good? Yeah, I thought defensive line was good today. Like I think because even the at the in the times where hey the passing game for Duquesne got got stifled, it felt like it was more because of what the defensive line or the front seven, just to include everybody here, um, were were causing problems. Like that second interception was at Wilcox. That that receiver was running free. And Wilcox did a nice job going to the ball when it got thrown up. But the reason that ball was behind that receiver and floating in the air was because Ben Cutter, true freshman linebacker, came in and just creamed the quarterback and rushed that throw, got that throw off. And so, yeah, I think the front seven, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say like it's not even on my radar of concern here, but they played very well in, in two games now, I think. They had the pieces to keep getting better too. Like it was funny. I was watching late in the game, being like, "Like who's in the defensive line right now?" And it was guys that we've seen play a bunch in the first game, but that's because they're playing eight and nine guys. So that's good. And, and just by naturally by rotating guys, you're not going to have so many defensive linemen that you're beyond your ninth or tenth player. So that's that's an interesting thing. I don't know how much you'll see a, a Corey McIntyre or even a Taurus Simmons in the normal course of action, but those guys got to play today a little bit. Uh, Zaki Lawton actually played so. If they're trying to get there even deeper, they could be good. They could be fine there and getting better, but they had the pieces to do that and to stay fresh and to roll people in. Played a lot of Ben Cutter at Mike tonight um, or Trey Lathan at Mike, but Ben Cutter was in the middle of a bunch. Koba, you're not worried about. That's the one thing that might be a little bit of a problem there is how much do they have? No Tyreek Austin Cave. He was out this evening. A lot of players out tonight that they maybe were cautious about, Devin Carter being one of them. Um, they don't really have a whole lot of linebackers, but they're only playing two. So, you know, it's not like a 4-3 or 3-4 where you got to have a whole bunch of bodies. You got to have a mic and a will. So they can probably make that work by doctoring some things. But, you know, Ben Cutter is a guy that may have to play, but may also be able to. And if he can play Mike and will in their changeable positions, that's going to make that better. But um, they're going to have to hold up because they're that line in between a defensive line and the secondary. And you, you do wonder about short stuff, runs, tight ends, getting into that secondary. And if those corners and safeties are going to be able to run with people because it, it just looks like they're at a speed deficit. Uh, against some of the receivers they've seen so far, and I would assume that's going to hold true for receivers that they see coming up. Um, we can begin to to unwind here, Chris, but um, pretty big game coming up next week. Am I am I correct in saying that Pitt loses twenty seven twenty one to Cincinnati today? So they're mortal. Um, this is not the big bag coming to town. Going to be a sold out crowd, and West Virginia, I think, some sort of a catapult for momentum and confidence coming out of the second half and what they did on offense, but also defense, um, whereas Pitt kind of stumbling in a little bit, hasn't looked like world beaters their first two games and coming in off a loss too. This is just a massive one for Brown, is it not? I've been saying it's the biggest game of his career for a couple of weeks now, maybe longer. Nothing I'm going to say is going to, nothing, nothing that has been said or has happened or will be said will change my mind about that. Like it's just, it is truly going to be massive. Um. Yeah, I mean, which I, yeah, so sold out crowd, big rival. You lose that one, and you've now lost to the two rivalry games, and you're heading into Big Twelve play, and and it's just not going to get much easier than that because, like you said, Pitt Pitt is very beatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be interesting to see how they uh, they draw this one out. They were not vanilla tonight. They said they didn't do some things, um, defensively, I believe, because they didn't want to show it you're worried less about the defense and the offense in that capacity 
unless you're just really concerned about getting lit up by Jerkovic and some of the receivers. And that's certainly a possible. I think if you're going to go at West Virginia, you're going to go with their corners and safeties. Again, three yards rushing tonight for Duquesne. Um, that might be a strength of West Virginia's defense. I'm sure that Pitt's going to want to run the ball. Um, this this game does and doesn't matter so much. Again, there's some momentum stuff that can pull out of that for sure and feel better about. But um, I think the bigger thing to me is just that they were able to get to that two hours. And, and like I said, really staggering in the locker room. Duquesne, I mean, really should have been a tie game. The, the, the pick play, there was no need for it. The guy was going to be open underneath that. If he just runs his route flat. Um, or, or flattens it out a little bit. It's not going to be an OPI, and it's going to be 14-14 going in. Who knows how that's different? I don't know. Uh, I'm not saying that you know a 14-14 game doesn't end up with a spread like this, but there is something good about West Virginia being able to kind of shake that off when they were getting booed in the first quarter, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But the drop passes, the even on the the muff punt, you heard it a little bit. It wasn't the biggest crowd, but you still heard it. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, they're turning on this team in the first quarter of an FCS game. Didn't get better. And whoever stuck around kind of treated to something there a little bit. But is, is it even possible to feel to feel I don't know. Is, is there something extra intrinsic, I guess, about, OK, overcame this adversity of the weather delay and not playing very well? Is, is there some turn the page stuff? Is there some maturation you think can come from that? Because this is a team that at some point is going to have to turn the page and mature. Maybe it doesn't happen tonight. Maybe it starts tonight. They did look just decidedly different and, and more importantly, better after that break. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody, at least as far as like the fan base is concerned, is going to be willing to say, all right, let's turn the page. That, that ended well until something else positive happens. Because I think think what happens in these next two games, again, specifically the pit game, is going to dictate how Everyone, I think, you know, fans, media, everyone will think of this Duquesne game because if they go out and they beat Pitt, they're like, see, yeah, it just got a little rust. And after that, you know, well, still, still down after the Penn State game. So start a little rusty against Duquesne. It's all fine. It's all good. You lose that Pitt game and it's like, see, struggling against a, a crummy Duquesne team. And of course, they're going to lose this one, of course. Um, so I think. You're not going to be able to turn the page on this game or or even take anything positive from it truly until the next positive thing happens. Yeah, that's a good point. Some of his best moments have been in non-conference play in their wins. Uh, NC State, Tony Gibson, the first year, uh, really no no conf- no non-conference the second year. They had Eastern Kentucky, but big whoop. Uh, two years ago, they beat Virginia Tech at home. Last year, they beat Virginia Tech. Um, but they also lost to Maryland. That tech team wasn't very good last year. Certainly lost to Pitt last year. So the things he was good at doing on and that early on that got him some some goodwill. You're talking the NC State game, the first Virginia Tech game. Well, that's been kind of leveled out a bit by the Maryland game. The the fact that Tech was terrible last year and then you know losing to Pitt and then Penn State. It's kind of been fleeting a little bit, but he can certainly get that back. And again, he's going to have to stack some wins with a lot of people, um, whether it's in the stands or in the offices here, to to make sure that he gets more time on the job. Uh, finally, Chris will go here on this. Some debuts, some not, maybe not debuts, but extended performances. Um, you can struggle sometimes to take a lot of value out of these games. Somebody will have a great game against an FCS team. We realize like, okay, he's going up against the, the second string for an FCS team, or you know, he should be able to do this against that opponent. So they can be kind of empty calories sometimes here. But any performances, any individuals that you saw for the first time or saw more of tonight that you say, okay, this is actually something you can move forward. And we'll exclude Hudson Clement from this because, as we said, he's he's certainly got a chance right now. But 
any people on that second level that are worth tuning into as the season evolves. Naheem White. I mean, I, I want. I was tempted to say Ben Cutter. I mean, he came in for a, a pretty limited amount of time and ended up tied with the team lead with four tackles, had a tackle for loss, hit the quarterback on that one interception. Um, seemed to be kind of all over the place. Um, but I, I still think in the long run, unless there's an injury, he's probably going to stick to backup duty and special teams duty. But White's play at running back combined with Justin Johnson's absence. It's just like, hey, this is happening again, you know, with White. It's like, hey, he was great in the spring. He was great in the spring game. He was great in the fall. He's great in his first college game. Like We're noticing a trend here. But I just don't know how it plays out with C.J. Donaldson, Jalen Anderson. I assume Justin Johnson, whatever's going on there. So it, it, it's it's something that I'm very interested in watching and how it unfolds over the next few weeks. Yep. Speaking of Johnson, by the way, I reported last night that he was not expected to play. Um, I said a little bit, if at all, but the expectation was he wasn't going to play. A lot of people are like, oh, no, does that mean he's transferring? I had no indication he was going to transfer. I just, again, the fact that it was he wasn't going to play much, if at all, um, that was kind of an indication that, again, if you have a condition in there like that, like he might play, but maybe not that much if he does. That's not what you do for somebody who's going to transfer. And Brown said that he was beat up a little bit practice and, and just couldn't go. So didn't need him. He rests. That's fine. Uh, I'm going to actually go on the defensive side, Chris. Um, I'm holding on to and, and acquiring whatever stock that you want to sell of Tomiwa Durajayi. There's something there, man. That, that's a big, strong, fast, quick guy on the line of scrimmage. And again, two sacks tonight. Maybe he should be doing that. But he's going to be a second or third wave guy in the defensive line. And, you know, if, if Martin or Hawkins or whomever else is in front of him is wearing out an offensive tackle or a guard, and he can go in and start running his motor fresh against those guys and reserve, uh, deplete their reserve a little bit. He's going to be effective in pass rush situations or just being effective in like the series or two he may get in a quarter or a half. And there's a lot of room to grow there. I like him a lot. Um, I, from the first time you see him move out in practice, like that guy's really big. He's a richer freshman. He's played in the SEC. He is, he has, and he's already like 6'4", 275, and he can move. You can tell he's he's a tough one to block when he's fresh and he's going at guys. And keep an eye on that one there because that's going to be their plan on the defensive line. Keep your main guys in, but keep them fresh and roll them in a ways if you can because you just don't see people playing seven or eight offensive linemen trying to keep them fresh. You try to keep your best five guys in, but they play a lot and they have to push and they have to you know, retreat and, and block and everything. It's hard, and sometimes they can get picked on at their – they're playing against a guy who's motivated and, and fresh and calibrated too. So one I would, would watch there. That'll about do it for us here. They're turning out the lights of Mountaineer Field. West Virginia turns out the lights on Duquesne in the second half. 56-17. The second biggest crowd to ever see a Duquesne game, Chris. How about that? Almost history. Officially, 50,037 of the game. Uh, officially, huh? Yeah. I think a lot of people knew it was going to be a bad weather game, too. So, I mean, that's why they stayed away. But, oh, well. Um, on the site tomorrow, three things I think, three things I know. Snap counts. We'll do some notes and quotes in the post game. Um, and, Chris, you have your normal Sunday rotation. What can we anticipate? Yep, we're going to have our PFF grades up, Sunday snap judgments. We also had Andrew at the game. He sent over a couple of videos of some things that we're going to add up that will go up Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, over the next couple of days. Um, just to bring a different perspective to the game. So, again, 
we'll bring our usual stuff and add to it. And and that's how we hope to continue this. Until next time, I'm Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.